shot my first tube this morning. Sir. Welcome to Beyond the Ocean, the podcast exploring surf parks and the impact of technology on the future of surfing. We speak with technology leaders, investors, operators, and surfing legends to explore this exciting new movement. I'm your host, Chris Klusner. Welcome back to Beyond the Ocean. Thanks for joining today for this very special episode called the Surf Park Breakdown episode of Beyond the Ocean. I'm joined today by Brian Dickerson, the editor-in-chief and creator of Wavepool Mag. Brian is a journalist, content creator, and communications specialist who spent the better part of the last 20 years writing about surfing, surfing culture, and wave pools, specifically through his work at Wavepool Mag and his collaboration with Stab Magazine, puts him as probably the most prolific writer in surf parks and wave pools that exists today. Surf Park Central's focus, of course, is on the B2B side of surf parks, where Brian and Wavepool Mag focus on the consumer experience, the end surfer journey as they visit these wave pools and surf parks being built all over the world. And that's what today's episode is all about. Brian and I get a bit nerdy and go into the, all the details that have been publicly disclosed about the projects being built now and those to come next. So without further ado, please join me for this wide-ranging conversation with Brian Dickerson of Wavepool Mag. <laughs> Brian, thank you for taking the time and, and joining Beyond the Ocean today. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's, uh, that's awesome. It's good to be here. I've, I've known you briefly, sporadically, but uh, all our conversations have been great. So uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, I, I think it's an exciting episode because, you know, between Surf Park Central, Wave Pool, Mag, I think we definitely have a voice in this exciting new sector of surf parks and so um, I was really stoked when you were you know, willing to come on and, and share notes. And I think the benefit of today is we get to hopefully translate some of our knowledge to the audience and help get these surf parks built faster. And so, yeah, thanks for doing that. I, I appreciate your openness. Similarly, yeah, I would, would love to hear more about yourself and your background. I know you grew up in, in California and you've been working as an editor in the surfing industry for, for quite a while. So I'd love it if you could Talk us through your background and how you describe yourself. I grew up in Huntington Beach, moved to San Francisco, fell in love with the surf at Ocean Beach and uh, spent most of my time there. Finally went to school in San Luis Obispo at Cal Poly, got a journalism degree, worked with uh, Sunshine Macaro, who was, who was on your show. And uh, she was great. She gave me a an opportunity right out of college to, to come help with her publication as a managing editor. So um, all the journalistic skills I, I cut my teeth on in the newsroom, producing a daily paper, uh, was able to take to a, a quarterly magazine, which was like going from running to surfing on a glacier or something. It was really, really uh, slowed down, but, but that worked out. That was surf life for women, right? Correct. Correct. That was Surf Life for Women. And that was that was a lot of fun in the early 2000s. And then uh, after after that, we moved here to France and I met Bruce Boll, who runs Surfer's Village, which uh, at the time was like the t 
like Twitter for surfing, you would just get an email with a headline scroll that you could click on. And it was all the press releases from the brands, all the WSL contest results. But as it went on, Twitter and social media in the early 2010s kind of took most of its share of of traffic uh, from Surfers Village and uh, moved over here to France again when Surfers Village was bought by Extreme Media. And uh, we did some great stuff, some great content and live Facebook things and trenched myself in the European surf culture a little more. So that that was good. I learned a lot being... uh, you know, from California and seeing how things are very different here. Where in France uh, are you? It's Biarritz area, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We're we're about half an hour from Biarritz and uh, Osiger, and uh, it's it's a great great place. Everyone says, "Oh, it's the California of of France," but it's. Um, I grew up in California. It's not California. <laughs> <laughs> what What would you say are some of those cultural surf differences? in terms of the south of France and and California, if if anything comes to mind. Yeah, in San Francisco, I'd surf Ocean Beach and Four Point a lot. And it's, you know, it's a localized crew. And you just, uh, you know, the people who've been surfing there for years and you just respect and go slow. And here it's more like uh, the gym's open and everyone, you know, jumps on a peak and it's uh, a little more, a little more chaotic that way. Competitive? Not really competitive. It's just weird. Like a lot of a lot of things that you grow up with in, in the lineup. Like okay, you know, you get a wave and then you wait your turn, <laughs> and and that doesn't really apply to a lot of the uh, the popular breaks here. At least not in September, October, when when all of Europe come to France to go surfing. But fortunately, there are places where you can you can still get away from the crowds. That's exciting. And generally, I'm curious. How did you? pick France? Do you have family there or did, was it, was it a decision during those years when you were making the jump? Just so I know it's a hotbed for surf and the waves are amazing, but yeah, yeah. The, the waves are great. The waves are really, really great. I wouldn't be here this long if they weren't, but the, um, we, we jumped from San Francisco where there's kind of the app boom, the whole tech, uh, tech bro culture, which, um, you know, is expensive and there wasn't really, I don't know. It just didn't feel like the city I knew from years and years ago. We came over here because there was a job opportunity in Biarritz when Surfers Village was purchased by Extreme Media. So um, I would go into an office every day. So basically came here for work. And it was work that lasted for about a year. And then the company went belly up. So I'm here with my family. And it, <laughs> it was time to, to find work to do something else. And that's why I did, uh, I tried to get Scott Bass and his surfboard show over here in Europe. I did some work for the WSL for the, as a media coordinator for some of their events. I did a lot of copywriting. Uh, I wrote copy for a dating app that was just about hooking up and based out of Portugal. There's a thriving tech scene in, in Lisbon, Portugal. And then that led to playing around with uh, wave pools and because I was always, like you, just fascinated with them. So I had time being in a low employment situation, so just really dug in and had a good time and had fun with it and created a wave pool mag. That's so exciting. And what was the first wave pool experience that you had or the first news about a wave pool that you experienced? Was it the, the Kelly pool or something else? 
Yeah, well, that's weird because Kelly's Pool opening in, in 2015 was right around, you know, Snowdonia was o- opened. Um, and that was those days, it was all just plow foil systems. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much the, the height you could get with a, with a wave pool. And then the Wave Garden Cove design came out right after that because uh, Josema and Fernando and Karen were, were thinking ahead to, oh, what makes a successful wave park and everything. So, um, yeah, seeing that come around, it was eye-opening in that the, tech, the companies and technology were evolving quickly enough to not so much what the market demand was at that time, but to what they anticipated happening. Absolutely. And it's been a whirlwind of progress since then. I mean, it's over the course of a few years, as you well know, there have been hundreds of projects that have popped up around the world in terms of starting to plan. And, you know, a dozen or so that have made that tenuous, treacherous journey over those first two years of getting entitled and getting the right, choosing a wave technology. And yeah, so maybe this is a good opportunity to transition and and talk a little bit more about you know your work at Wavepool Mag and how you track the market and some of the exciting things you're you're seeing this year. And generally for this show, I think it'd be exciting to talk through some of the more you know well-established surf parks that are open, which we we've prepared some some thoughts just to rattle off and share what we know. Maybe even some of the farther out long tail uh, proposed projects, which would be excited to dig in on the hype and hear what's going on there. But yeah, so I would love to hear more about your work at Wavepool Mag and how you approach it. Yeah, Wavepool Mag, is it, it's fun, basically. It's, uh, it's one of those things where I get up and you know look through the news feed and see what's going on and what do I want to write about. And one of the, the wonderful things about this space, as you know, is it's, it's not really been invented yet. So you can elaborate as you wish and uh, we do that with a lot of our artwork, a lot of our video clips. I have some great designers working for us and some good writers. So I, I'm able to say, okay, let's do, let's do something a little, a little different, a little out of the ordinary. There's, it, it's basically this wave pool culture that's emerging, which you can see in the different parks. They all have their own kind of uh, vibe. But at some point, there will be enough wave pools where a common theme emerges. And that could be totally random. It could be like 90s skateboarding, you know, big pants, tight T-shirts and, and small wheels or, or whatever it is. But the equivalent of that in a wave pool. I hear you. And I, I could totally see these different subcultures emerging because actually just personally, my first wave pool experience was a natural one. It was in the Eisbach River in Munich. And there was a whole subculture there. Isn't that place amazing? It's just it's weird. It's like, okay, you're in yeah. the middle of Germany. And, and sorry, I'm cutting it. I want to hear your, what was your take on it? What was your visceral impression when, when you were there? Well, as a surfer, I, I was with a group of non-surfers. I was, in a, I was on a trip. It was during college, actually, right when I was living with John Luff, actually, at the time. Okay. And, but I was on a trip uh, in Munich. I had no idea this existed till I arrived. And then it was professed to me is you can go surfing in the Central Park of Munich. And so I went to the Central Park of Munich and sort of just listened and tried to find the river. And, you know, once you get there, you, you get it immediately. There's a, there's a left and a right yeah. side, you know, there's the two walls on both sides. 
it's the melting water from the Alps that flows this crystal clear, freezing cold, but beautiful water down over cinder blocks or something and creates this, this wave. I paid a guy 20 euros to borrow his board and, and I just stripped down and did it in my, uh, my boxers there. Uh, so a little, I was, I was, you know, different time. I'd still do it now, yeah. I think, but yeah, I, I found <laughs> it really fascinating. You know, immediately I noticed that they, uh, the equipment needs are different. Everyone had duct taped their rails because they had traditional, you know, fiberglass epoxy boards. And so they would hit the walls and destroy them. So I, I immediately recognized that the equipment might be a little different and then th that it's a spectator sport because there was about 50 people up on the top of the bridge watching and about 10 people only doing it. So uh, that struck me. So that it's a spectator sport. The equipment's different. It's in a different setting. And yeah, I, I think I was hooked at that moment. What was your first experience? Yeah, seeing that, I was, I was at an ISPO show in Munich a few years ago and just asked people, where do I go? How do I get to the Eisbach in uh, you know, Germany? But everyone's speaking English. <laughs> and we have, yeah, different perspectives on it. But, but for me, it was kind of... I saw it and I thought like, oh, wow, they're, you know, surfing in a river. And it was akin to that sense that I got when I went to Scheveningen in uh, Holland, which, you know, it's on the North Sea and it's like wind chop and it's super cold, but it's got this intense, thriving surf scene because people just love to surf it. And I remember looking out and, and thinking, my God, those waves are just crap. I would, <laughs> there's no way I would go out there. And I, I felt so horrible and, and so elitist and people are having fun and, and thriving. But due to my background, it's like I've, I've got a higher standard or whatever. But seeing how enthusiastic people were and wanting to surf them, it kind of uh, galvanized that core sense that, yes, there will be wave pools everywhere. If people are willing to don all this rubber and go in the cold water, surf a river, if they're willing to surf blown out two-foot peaks with 100 other surfers in the same area, then people will find a way to build a wave pool, to travel to a wave pool, to to pay for surfing. I felt the same way, by the way, you know, as yeah. when I was out in the two foot windblown <laughs> crowded surf in New York in December and people are fighting over, you know, a thigh high three second ride. I was like, you know, there this really makes sense. There's pent up demand. People don't know they want this yet. But once it's affordable to a reasonable person, this is going to be big because you can't progress. For 10 years of my surfing career, it was about, can I get a couple waves? Not, will I be able to learn how to do an air this session? It's, it just was not the progression component of it. I found I was only progressing when I was traveling and, and visiting places like San Diego. Yeah, so it was um, it was that, and seeing that wow, there is this this core demand, and I think uh, in the in the wave pool debate, when you hear it, people talking about like dissing it, you know, you get kind of kink shamed for for liking wave pools. You know, it's like oh, you're not a a real surfer. That's you know, mother nature energy, which is great. Wave pools will never replace the ocean. You know, first off, but wave pools are this wonderful uh, supplement. It's uh, like right now I live 45 minutes from my favorite place to surf. And if I could hit a wave pool, you know, like you hit the gym a couple times a week, I would be fantastic and then spend, you know, one day searching, you know, searching out waves in the forest. 
Totally. We um we interviewed Randy Rarick mm-hmm. on this show. I listened to that. That was a great podcast. Yeah, and he he led with that. He's like, you know, those who kind of bash on the wave pool experience haven't ridden one yet. <laughs> it's got it's not going to replace the ocean. You know, he lives on the North Shore. He was executive director of the Pipe Masters for for 38 years, I think it was. But they're still fun. Once you get to one, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to not smile and be excited about it. So, but yeah, I, I hear you. We we've heard a little bit of that, but in terms of the dissing and the shaming related to surf parks, but again, I think those are the folks that are just a little jealous. <laughs> and it, it seems culturally that there's been a this year in particular, maybe in the last, hopefully a, collectively from our work, maybe from the parks opening, some cultural thing with the pandemic. For some reason, in the last twelve months. I've heard a lot more positive sentiment from from the average surfer. Have you observed anything, you know, over the pandemic and just in the lineup? Have you observed generally a more positive sentiment towards surf parks? Place with the wave pool due to travel restrictions or whatnot um, is another issue. All the other complications that 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 come with the pandemic. We d- we did a piece on because uh, we heard from a few people who were not able to travel to Indonesia. So I think surf parks and wave pools kind of emerged as uh, this place where you could plan it or they were, they were accessible. Kept a lot of people uh, in the water who, who wouldn't have been able to, to go on a surf trip. It'll be exciting as over the next couple of years, as more of these facilities start to open up, especially the East Coast facilities for me personally. I'm really excited to see Myrtle Beach and Virginia Beach, which are in their planning phases right now. Have you made it to um, American Dream yet? Have you talked to Scud and Surf? Yeah, Will and Cliff Scudden. Yeah, they. I grew up near those guys. You know, they they're from Long Beach, and I grew up in a place called uh, Gilgo Beach, maybe ten miles away, and would always surf in Long Beach. So I haven't visited yet. We are interviewing them for an article now about their the surf park that they're running through American Dream, which. It's an interesting site because it's such a large, it's a water park experience, but with this cool, small scale, still interesting looking wave right in the middle of it. I just, again, tapping into that untapped demand, there's a lot of surfers in New York and, and New Jersey and New England. And so they're having, it seems, no problem filling up slots, even if the wave is not the Kelly wave. They're still having some fun with it. So, yeah, I'm curious to see and, and hear how it's been going once we get a chance to break that interview with them. That was unique, the way they, they did that pool in terms of making it so it's uh, surfable, but it's still accessible to the water park users. So it's, it's dual use, which I guess maybe surf parks have almost gone full circle because that was like Typhoon Lagoon when they opened. They have the morning, they still do the morning and evening uh, surf sessions in the middle of the day is for people uh, bobbing around in the water. Yeah. And that's definitely, we've heard from, you know, as part of Surf Park Summit and other opportunities to talk to developers, I think that the beginner audience is critical for every surf park to have a community of beginners. As we understand it, the cost to develop Generally, the cost to develop an advanced six-foot barreling wave is much higher than the cost to create a smaller, crumbling, you know, sort of beginner entry-level wave. And, you know, we see that in the different technologies like the Wave Garden Cove technology, which has that, the cove, which is the beginner section. 
Yeah, I'm curious is when you visited the, because um, you, you've been there to the Wave Garden test facility, that's a cove, right? So it has the lagoon section. Yeah, it's the cove and it's, it, it, it's fascinating going there. They host people as kind of a filter to see if someone is serious. It's supposed to be like, I think, a couple thousand dollars just to visit. And they give you a tour and then they know if you're serious and opening, you know, a wave pool or if you just wanted a session, the place. But it's uh, the land, the Basque country is so hilly and mountains, they didn't have enough flat surface area to do a left and a right. The machine itself produces waves for the left and the right because they needed to test that. But it does not have, there's no left side to it. Just There's just the right. And uh, they had to take up some of the original plow system in order to fit room for the cove. And uh, the plow system that's there now, it's, it's amazing. It's like uh, the kind of like, like rusted hulk of the <laughs> machinery. And it's felt like a, a paleontologist for, for wave pools going there and seeing this. And the other thing was the, uh, the cove model, which you don't see in any of their publicity material, which is uh, like a one-tenth scale, maybe. So with that, you have, uh, you can see where they're playing around with different bathymetries. Yeah, and it's, it's super interesting to hear that the number one thing, even just in your impression of it, was the physical space, the physical uh, available room to build it. It was actually more of a consideration and an impact on the experience, just reacting here, than the tech even itself. It's funny because, as we both well know, it's so much about which technology, which, which one are you using? It, maybe that's a missing the first question, which is, what is the site like? What, where are you trying to build this? Because it does seem like there's a different situation where, you know, a wave garden or wave garden cove, a surf lakes, you know, American wave machines, where it, they have a different configuration that they would be a better fit for. Have you had any experience or any, uh, I know you did a recent uh, interview with the urban surf guys in Melbourne. Do you have any understanding of, you know, what their community looks like? You know, is it 10% beginners? Is it half beginners? I'm curious, like, is it a core, like in surf local community? Or I know they have a lot of beginner sessions, but I'm just not sure what it's like culturally. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Because uh, I think as we see both the wave and urban surf opened around the same time, and they've both taken different routes to uh, their commercial model. With urban surf, it's, it's so wonderfully Australian and kind of like core surfing and, you know, people are there with the waves turned up to advanced and expert and uh, where their advanced setting is uh, more, I, f- I forget the wave garden, mo- it's like a turns wave or a barrel wave and the wave, well, their advanced wave is um, a Malibu wave. So it's like one step down. They're using the same nomenclature, but it's just different, uh, actual different physical waves coming through. But urban surf, I, I, I love what they're doing where they have punch card, you can get a, a membership and just show up consistently. They seem to really value their core audience, the, the core surfers. You know, they're not pushing them out. They're not canceling beast sessions to fill, fill the pool with the intermediates. And I think they're really doing a good job of staying core. At the same time, they're, you know, smart enough to know that, okay, if we have a good restaurant and serve $7 lattes where, you know, that'll help us keep pumping out waves. So they're, they're doing that, but they're definitely more the Australian 
approach to approach to surfing. And the wave, on the, on the other hand, I, I love the wave. I went there last year, and uh, it's just really nice. You go inside, and it's all wood, and it just it just feels like a like a groovy cafe. It's like more of an, an inclusive environment, you know, uh, which is really great. I think uh, English surfing is is more like that. As as more people are are learners and beginners, you just uh, a lot more foamy boards to rent, a lot more surf lessons. Yeah, I I do think that the local community steers a lot of this, and you know, I can't help but think that that goes into the planning component since the in the pro forma business models before these things get authorized, they have to make these assumptions on who the local community is and if they're going to receive the demand they need. And overall, that's why you see surf parks being built first in places where the waves are already really good, like, you know, Palm Springs near San Diego, the Gold Coast of Australia. It's because the population of existing surfers are there. They'll bring their friends and family and, you know, kind of reinforce itself. But you know, in terms of the specifics of how each of these facilities has has designed their their cultural impact. I mean, we we recently interviewed Damon Tudor from from Urban Surf, and specifically, they mentioned adaptability as being one of the big things there. So, I think there's an existing culture, but they are ready to you know experiment and bring in different populations. It's tough though, because sur- surfers are horrible clients they're horrible customers <laughs> think about it like your, your core surfer is you know trying to save as much money for a new board or you know a new wetsuit and they'll buy hard goods they're not gonna lounge around in the cafe and uh, drop you know as much money as they could buy you know a new set of fins for or, or, or something like that so it maybe the surf shop model is applicable like you go to your favorite surf shop and you know there's they have boards and they know surf but they, they pay the rent through selling t-shirts. So it could be, could be more than that, <laughs> more like that. Yeah. And, and I think the, you know, the recent news here is with the, the wave garden in, in Alaya Bay. And what I understand about that technology to your point is it's probably designed more for a harder core audience. It's a wave garden without the cove. It's also colder. And I think generally what, you know, what we've seen is, the Swiss are just a little more extreme <laughs> than than Americans. Either they have more disposable income, more free time, but just culturally they they're always on time. But they just get outdoors, <laughs> get outdoors more. I have, a, I have a really good friend, actually a mutual friend of John Luff and mine, who we traveled with, who's Swiss. She was always on time, always on time, and she spoke always five languages. <laughs> oh, exa- exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's just you know, it is it does feel like a different cultural dynamic there. I'm curious about this Paris project. Knowing you're you're in the south of France, this is the the Endless Surf Whitewater West project in the center of Paris. And you know, imagine what the amenities and the coffee shop, espresso, even wine culture might be like with a really cool wave right in the middle of a beautiful city like Paris. What do you think about it? That one really grabbed my imagination because going back to us talking about what will the wave pool surf culture be like, because it is an urban re- redevelopment project. So it's the Sevran area of, of Paris. So it's, um, you know, high unemployment and it's not wealthy Paris like most Americans. We think of Paris and it's the Eiffel Tower and Audrey Hepburn's running around somewhere on a bicycle. You know, this is like core urban living with a lot of disenfranchised people. 
So the redevelopment is to, you know, instead of putting up a soccer pitch or a couple of basketball hoops and a, you know, community center, it's they're building a wave pool and other more action sports focused, uh, focused attractions, which is cool because I, I really hope it takes off. I really hope it does well. Local authorities have, have said they'll, you know, residents will have access to the pool, which is great because you can like spawn a whole whole surf culture there that's uh, more urban, more resembles skateboarding is very different than the like coastal elite uh, element of, of surfing that we come to know. So that culturally is, um, I, I think it's fantastic. And I, I really wish them all the success. And I want to see that. At, at the same time, you, you mentioned Switzerland. And that's both from where I am in France, both are about the same driving distance, eight to 10 hours. In Switzerland, that's I know their cove. They had they didn't have enough room to have a full size one. They still have the same engine in their cove, but um, they just cut off the the very last part. So there's no like from what I I've heard, there's no waiting area. Yeah, specifically the um, I heard a stat or um, the official Surf Park Central stat. There is it's the same, literally like you just said, the same size wave generator as Urban Surf but in a pool that's half the size. I think it's two acres versus four. So yeah, Laya Bay is just over two acres. And I believe Urban Surf, um, I'll have to fact check myself, is is about twice the size. So a lot more juice, probably not going to be a fit for somebody who doesn't want to strap on the, you know, the wetsuit or a beginner, but uh, will be extremely exciting. And the other thing about Europe too, is that, I mean, it, it makes really great sense to have that in Switzerland, we were fortunate enough to go camping through Switzerland and all of Europe's going camping in Switzerland. And yes, it's expensive and whatnot, but it's, it's just breathtaking. And there's this whole uh, European culture is more like, okay, we're going to do the Alps thing now. And that involves the skiing. And it also involves now surfing. But there's a little more organization, I guess, or people love planned out packages and activities. It's not what you and I might encounter in, in backwoods America, where it's like, oh, I'm going camping in you know, the mountains for a week. I'll see you later. You know, Someone just brings a shovel and uh, some matches, and then you see them a week later, and they had a great time. So it's more curated, I guess, is the word. And uh, the Alaya Bay wave pool fits very well into the, the European curated uh, vision of uh, recreation. That makes a lot of sense. I think that same idea of curation is sort of what the what we're seeing with other facilities. Like there's there's been a few announced uh, similarly by Endless Surf, one in Parkwood, which is the Gold Coast, where again you go there to get weight. I mean, it's an incredible place. Also, though, one of the most crowded places I've ever surfed at Snapper Rocks. It is so extreme. It's exciting to see you know. Feed Durbage or Kelly Slater like taking off inside of you, but it's frustrating if you're competing against those guys to get waves. Yeah, I have to ask: Were you able to get a wave there? Or because I see people go out, and I'm like, why? You you like paddle out? You're <laughs> out for eight hours. You don't get any waves, and then you come in. It's like it frightens me. What what happened, Chris? I am a scavenger, so I've through being an East Coast guy, I know how to um, you know just weasel my way in and just <laughs> I'll pick up. I, my trick was I wait for them to fall, so I would sit one and a half turns 
from the peak. <laughs> he triangulated it from the I beach. Literally, oh, yeah. Great. Like, all right, that that guy hesitated for a second. I'm going to definitely get this wave when he does not beat, beat that section. And yeah, you have to be an opportunist. But for the Gold Coast, you would, you know, your first reaction would be why? Because there's such good waves. But then, the, then it's like, oh, because it's the most crowded place you've ever been. Imagine if you could zip right over to Parkwood and jump in there and the endless surf technology, what, what we understand to be uh, really exciting about them is the heart shape in the pool, which um, lets you bring the wife or husband, you know, who's non-surfer family member and kids and have them have a safe place while you're, you're getting barreled. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see that design because it's really exciting. It's uh, unique in the way they laid it out. And then such a variety of surf zones and the fact that the pneumatic chambers can adds to the wave as it goes down the line, or they can adjust it accordingly. That's cool because it, it does get everyone in the pool. Yeah, and they, they seem to be replicating that model of, you know, between Paris, you know, a highly desirable destination where they'll put this structured project, Parkwood, similarly, the, the Punta Cana project and the Vietnam project. They're just lot locations that you would typically expect to come first. So yeah, really excited to see the progress of those. Let's see, we've also got some amazing progress with Surflock, uh, another one of the the amazing technologies that's coming out. You know, there's you know a half dozen or so that are sort of commercially available. Surflock has Palm Springs Surf Club, which is really exciting. You know, while they're not open and it's definitely a test facility, it's been pretty cool. I don't know if you've seen, I, I, or I know you've seen some of that footage and uh, be curious what you think about Palm Springs. It's a perfect place to have a, uh, a wave pool and it, it set a precedent in that it revitalized a water park. So taking something that was dead, this archaic, you know, leftover from the 1990s or 1980s, whenever it was built and, uh, you know, breathing new life into it with this, uh, this smaller wave pool and then Proving Tom's technology there, and then uh, Shane and Kalani are are such great at marketing, and you know, just only releasing clips of pros absolutely shredding, or people on skimboard shredding, or inviting Mason Ho. That was like marketing genius because it's a really small pool, and there's no way. I mean, I could maybe get one medium turn <laughs> in there. I don't. I don't know your surfing level, but it's it's like really. Uh, it's a really it's tight. tight. Yeah, it's tight. Yeah, and the other thing is, there's. I don't know if I can say this. I'm allowed to. You can just cut this out later if it's secret knowledge. But um, yeah, they're building a larger pool on the site, and Tom told me that. Tom is um, a good friend of Surf Park Central. Jess Ponting, our head of research, um, has known him for the better part of of 10 years, even back in his, you know, in his work with Flowrider. And, you know, he's, he's really a person to pay attention to in the industry from a technology perspective. And, uh, but yes, we will confirm before we, we share that tidbit (laughs) (laughs) before we launch. And they have been very explicit to say that the Palm Springs facility is a test demo sort of experience. It's not what the full size thing will look like, but we have heard some exciting rumors about other facilities they're building, including private one in the Northeast. Yeah, which is pretty cool. With uh, 10 caissons, I think. We interviewed the construction company that built that because they were, um, I guess it's pretty challenging building a wave pool. You 
You can't just pour regular concrete, otherwise the wave action will eat the bottom, like what happened with uh, in Orlando with uh, Ron John's thing 12 years ago. So I was talking to this, this guy who does construction out of the East Coast, and he, he was really like, yeah, I got to, I got to blow up some, some rocks there, so let me send you the video. <laughs> he sent the video. Uh, he got to do his uh, demolition, so you know, he pushed the plunger, and you see all this bedrock just explode, and then uh, they were able to clear it out and build the pool. But it was, it was funny. It reminded me that, oh, yeah, you, you, you do get to talk to the engineering, the construction side of that that you uh, don't normally experience with ocean surfing. What's got me most excited is that it's in, you know, an area of the country not typically known for waves. And I just think that's really cool to just open up the aperture of how people think about surfing and being able to do that in New England is always a, always a good thing. But yeah, I, I, so long story short for surf lock, there's a lot more to come and we would, uh, we're excited about additional opportunities to help their team to, to share about that. Yeah, they've also got Spain, uh, Costa del Sol, and then Sydney, about 45 minutes outside of Sydney. They're, they're working on a project there. Yeah, I mean, we'll just round out the list. And I mean, so another kind of unique technology, standout technology, Surflakes, really unique. That's the plunger system. Their Yepin facility is what we've seen the videos of where it looks like Mad Max kind of dropping that big plunger down and sending waves out. I think the exciting uh, update there is they're scaling up their North America commercial team. So I, as I understand it, a lot more activity on this side of the world for surf lakes, which, which will be really exciting to see what they can get done and, and bring to the table. Um, have you had a chance to talk to anybody over there and, and learn? More We've about interviewed Aaron Travis a few times and uh, speak with Wayne Dart regularly. I love their system. Most people love their system. And where Kelly's is responsible for making wave pools public in the, you know, being on the Today Show and, and whatever else, Surflakes has kind of done that, but more from a bizarre, as you mentioned, Mad Max. Oh my God, what's happening? What is this thing? Perspective. They have a great design. It's having the wave go out in 360 degrees and you're not near a wall. You're not in a confined area. So it is more open like a ocean experience. And it's just such a visceral thing. You see it and you see, oh my God, what, you know, what is this? And it's, uh, I always liken it to, you know, a stack of Marshall amplifiers or something where it's, it's just big and heavy and in your face and very rock and roll in that way. They've gone so, you know, they, they shot for the moon and, uh, you know, they were able to develop this, how that translates into the, uh, day-to-day of being able to construct such a giant device you know that's I, I think people are working through that and trying to make that happen and that's one of the bigger challenges but um being able to accommodate that many surfers and that many waves and just dreaming so big is uh the great thing about surf lakes i know they have an executive team and big visions for that cultural around the waves experience and if I've got my uh, my facts right here, I think one of their team leads is former Top Golf executive. So you know, really comes from an experience of creating a fun place where people want to come back and aim to grow really quickly. So yeah, I think a lot more to come from Surf Lakes this year, and and we're we're hopeful to to hear more from them. And and then uh, of course, American Wave Machines they power BSR. 
We've also heard some news about some other projects they're working on, but uh, what's on your radar from AWM? They've got uh, Japan. They've fired out a, a test wave or two already. They're probably testing it a lot. They're filling up the pool. That one's going to be larger. They have two other projects, one in Brazil, one in Richmond, Virginia, I believe. Brazil is, is coming along faster, and that one's supposed to be twice the size, I believe, of a BSR Surf Resort. And it's great. They're, the, the marketing they did with BSR, you know, through... Bruce McFarlane going down and adjusting the ways for top-notch surfers to do crazy things is really great. It's a great design too. You know, I, I talk to people and a lot of people say that it's, it's one of the few parks you leave like feeling surfed out. They're again, another great design. Yeah, I've heard the same. Like the experience down at, at BSR is one that is very social, you know, bring a couple friends and have more of a the camaraderie around trying new things. It, it feels like the way the tech works allows people to throw a backflip or two and go for it. Whereas other technologies such as like the Kelly Slater technology, where there's a four minute lag time between waves doesn't create that same effect. It creates more of a scarcity effect where you want to make sure you beat the section. And we've heard about this like uh, <laughs> from others that have felt that yeah. pressure, uh, like Ian Carnes, who's a former champion surfer, Kanga. He's like, well, I wrote it on a sup and I fell and everybody was giving me dirty looks. And so, you know, it's, it's just interesting when you when you actually think about that customer experience, that user experience. I'm excited to get down to BSR and give that a try and do that with a with a good crew. A lot going on. I mean, that, and that's just the facilities that are sort of that we're relatively certain about. I mean, there's hundreds more that are announced. I mean, maybe we could just rattle off some of the the more recent announcements to build, you know, for some hype. Let's jump into some speculation here, Chris. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't have to speculate too much, but uh, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of amazing stuff. Like, I mean, just in the Palm Springs area alone, there are now four sites. With all four technologies leading, you know, technologies at this time from Thermal Beach Club, Desert Surf, uh, Coral Mountain, and Palm Springs Surf Club. Yeah, we just talked about. So you've got Surf Locks, you've got Kelly's Wave, you've got Wave Garden, and then you've got American Wave Machines, right? Yep, that's right. So the uh, it'll be Coral Mountain with the Kelly Slater technology, Desert Surf, which is the project that uh, John Love from Surf Park Central's involved with. That's a wave garden technology. We've got the American Wave Machines project with Thermal Beach and then Surf Lock at Palm Springs Surf Club. So yeah, quite the uh, technology battle in Palm Springs. It's like the proving ground. <laughs> I have to ask you this. How do you see Coral Mountain going with a Kelly Slater wave pool as the central thing? Because at first when I thought about it, I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm off to work. I'm going to set up a 730 wave you know, and you, you show up and you have your morning wave and you get a minute long ride and, and you're, you're stoked and you're ready for the day because you bought a $1 million condo on the property or however that's going to work out. But then there's the noise. There's the noise of the, the machine as it pulls the foil down the track. And I'm curious how they're going to, I guess, for lack of a more polite term, beautify the, uh, you know, what we see in Lemoore. How are they going to do that? Do you have any thoughts, Chris? I would love to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I brought 
you know, again, we, with Jess Ponting on our team uh, as our head of research, he's a professor at San Diego State and his, his background is in sustainable surf tourism in addition to uh, helping us to, he, he, he was helped John to create the first surf park summit. So anyway, he, he ran it, he wrote a recent research paper and also pulled some stats from, from other studies. One stat is that a home that's located, a residential home that's located near a good surf break, controlling for everything related to real estate and location and amenities is worth about $106,000 more than the same home, not near a great surf break. So the question is, is it going to provide the same level of benefit if there's a cranking, you know, spitting, spewing loud machine? <laughs> what we've heard from the architects that we engage through Summit and uh, in our network is they're just going to level up the insulation. So it'll be part of the residential home design as how they how they address this. And then, yeah, in terms of noise dampening for the machine itself, to be honest, I'm not sure. I've never experienced the Kelly technology firsthand. If it's truly as loud as you say, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting problem. But Palm Springs overall feels like the it would be like, you know, if you want to get into media, you go to New York or if you want to get into tech, you go to San Francisco. It's, you want to get into surf parks, you go to Palm Springs and you, you stay for a couple of days and try them all. Run the gauntlet. But the, the next, let's talk about the, the next Coachella Valley, which is Phoenix and the areas around there, uh, Mesa, Arizona, Gilbert, you know, where, which ironically where, where Big Surf launched in 1969, you know, the, and they were surf focused at the, when they first opened, which I find incredible. But now you have other parks and plans going on there. And we're due to get a press release from them Monday. They are uh, Swell MFG, the, the group Shane Beshin's working with. Really exciting to hear about, about their work. And, and uh, just as a caveat on my last comment too, I, before I move past the Palm Desert, Palm Springs stuff is, I just also want to debunk the myth or the misconception we've heard that Palm Desert and Palm Springs are, they're not the same. <laughs> they're actually two different towns, two different cities. They're adjacent to each other. But that is important. So it's, you know, the Palm Springs, Palm Desert area, just to be factually correct there. But, but they're all within the Coachella Valley, right? That's right. They're sibling areas, but same region, but factually different towns. So that, that's important, you know, just to just to get the, the facts right. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. But yeah, and over, over to Tempe I, and the projects generally popping up in Arizona. We also uh, interviewed Shane Beshin about Waikai, his Oahu project a couple of weeks ago. And he made, um, and we've got to meet the team over at, at Swell MFG. And we're, we're still a little early on um, being able to comment from the Surf Park Central side there. And we're excited to see the press releases that, you know, they, they can share. But generally, I, uh, from what we understand, it's going to be a, an exciting new technology that will be coming on people's radars very quickly once they announce. And then the other exciting component about some of the projects mentioned is that there'll be other secondary waves involved. So this is the first time we're seeing like a primary wave and a secondary wave. And it's unofficial as of now, but we have seen some leaked press that there'll be a unit surf pool included at Revel at the, at the facility with the Swell MFG technology. So kind of cool. Um, that's the first time we're hearing of like two wave techs and I like that from a customer perspective, because while you're waiting for the big wave, 
warm up on the little wave. That kind of dynamic really makes sense to me. So anyway, that's that's just what we've heard so far. Data to be validated after the press releases come out next week. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's, it's really exciting. And, uh, you know, because it, it leads to the fact that in five years time, there are going to be so many surf parks. And that's the other thing that I could pick your brain on is, is what about emerging technologies? What's your take on we did a story on uh, some South American technologies coming up. I know there are a couple in the U.S. and uh, Germany has has one going on that we know of. So basically, there's you know the pneumatic setup where people can just basically compress air in any configuration. But there are also quite a few like uh, wave prism, which uses uh, levers and things like that. Do you see like a um, kind of revolution where you know you? Chris can go and, and buy a few parts at Home Depot and uh, set up your own your own wave machine. <laughs> it's a fun question. And there was this video from Surflock actually talking about Tom Lochtenfeld's early uh, and visually showing some of his early designs where they had this version of a plow that they towed behind a boat. And you just see that and you're like, wow, this will never work. And then you fast forward to today and, and it has come quite a long way. So it took 10 years for Tom to get to that point. So I do think that there's a, because of the emphasis and the investment, there will be a surge in innovation. And specifically, there's a couple emerging technology companies that are already making waves, so to say, literally. And we highly encourage that. And specifically for the, for Surf Park Central, we're trying to find ways to better feature those folks. So it's not just talking about the commercially available technologies. So for example, at the summit, we do this thing called the Emerging Tech Leader Showcase, where we bring in folks like that to help them talk about what they're building. All that said, admittedly, Surf Park Central, we play it a little more conservatively. We generally will be very reluctant to overpromise what a new technology can deliver before we start to see larger at scale performance. So I'm optimistic, cautiously, and I do expect you know, it take to take a couple years. But, you know, all that said, I am definitely a proponent for if you build it, you know, it's, I will yeah. come yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, come check it out. So I'm optimistic that we will see more commercially available technologies in the next couple of years. How do you feel about it? I think it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm more like a dreamer. If someone, you know, approaches me and says, oh, we've got this great technology. It works like this. I'm like, all right, let's put it out there. Let's, you know, see what happens. And we get a lot of people reaching out to us who say, hey, we've got this concept, we've got a test tank, we you know, need funding, we need to grow it. And that's the part where you have to do some vetting and you know, explore as you know, this guy wearing a foil hat to keep radio waves from bouncing into his brain or, or whatever, because there is that element out there. But you know, most of the time, someone's genuine and they have this great technology and they just need some support to get it going. So what if the, uh, you know, how a lot of tech industry had incubators and such. Maybe we can uh, start up the same. I love <laughs> that, actually. Technologies. Yeah, it's just, the, you know, who's the, who are the guys building in their garage right now? You know, the future wave that we're, we're all going to enjoy. I love that idea. You know, some sort of a way to just help encourage and accelerate this stuff. And it's a great idea. We should look at that as our next collaboration, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. The incubator. Yeah, I love that. Awesome to hear about your different, you know, kind of share notes and just for any viewers that are newer, 
Hopefully this was a good, you know, we'll make sure we do some show notes and put links to all these different facilities and help to bring these names to the surface. And, you know, I know you guys have some resources on this stuff as well that we'll link back to like the map you guys have built and things like that. But just to bring it home, maybe a little more in the clouds is the dreamer, so to say, you know, what's the future of surf look like? What's it, what's it going to look like in 10 years once more of these parks get built and uh, more people get exposure to them? What's the future hold? I think uh, the, the first thing you'll see is that everyone will be capable surfer. And I know that sounds really ambitious, but if someone that right now, the learning curve with surfing, as you know, is just, uh, it's one of the most difficult things out there, but with uh, access to repetitive waves, people will be much more proficient and they'll learn at a quicker rate, thereby getting more enjoyment and immersing themselves deeper into surfing. So in that regard, you're going to see like this core kind of ethos that we have with surfing where it just, you know, it sparks something in you. you. You have to do it. You just feel a little larger than yourself. Maybe we'll see that grow to more and more people as, as more people surf. The contrary to that is the, the people who think, oh, it's going to, you know, crowd ocean lineups because more people will know how to surf. I think as long as wave pools and surf parks keep coming up, then people will have a, have a place to surf. And there's not going to be too many transitioning from pool to ocean because the ocean is just a whole different beast. Got to paddle and duck dive too. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. hard, especially when it's cold. <laughs> and you have to read the ocean. Yeah. 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 Which, the, where do you surf? You know, how do you access the wave without putting yourself in harm's way? That's a big part of surfing is when to go, where to go, how to, how to go. Yeah. And which swells are coming from, from which direction? thing i'm most excited about again is is the culture that emerges you know what happens when instead of a skate park a community builds a wave pool yeah it's a rapid wave or a traveling wave and then everyone has access to surf and it's not necessarily going to be tethered to ocean surfing so it could become this totally unique thing kind of like we saw when snowboarding took off you know 40 years ago where it became definitely its own core sport with you know its own vibe and everything Love that. What a great way to end. And, you know, thanks for taking the time again for this today. Where can folks learn more and connect? Uh, yeah, we're on Instagram, WavePoolMag. We're uh, online, WavePoolMag.com and uh, Twitter and Facebook. If you still use those platforms. LinkedIn now too, right? Yes, we just started LinkedIn, which uh, I begrudgingly go to each Monday. So LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all the social platforms, and then wavepoolmag.com. And yeah, look forward to doing more with you in the future, Chris. Amazing. Well, thanks again. We'll call it for today. So thanks, Brian, and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, here's Chris again. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For those of you who want more information on surf parks and the topics covered in these episodes, Surf Park Central's Insider Membership might be for you. Insiders are people serious about surf parks and the organizations they represent. You can join Insiders for a monthly membership fee and rewatch all the surf park summits that have ever happened. You can get transcripts, access to research reports and white papers. 
even see webinars with special guests like those who visit us on this podcast. So check out surfparkcentral.com slash insiders to learn more about this exclusive professional community for surf parks. Check it out, surfparkcentral.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do leave us a review if you like what you hear. It really helps us to get the word out, get featured, and get more people to listen in. Also, please check out our website, beyondoceanpodcast.com.